Hello everyone, I'm Jensine Bard, and welcome to Testimony, where truth is told, lives are changed, and hope is given. Revelation 12:11 tells us that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, a testimony of your story for His glory. What do you do when you get the call that no one wants to take? No one wants to hear. And at the end of that call, more questions than answers, more hurt than healing, and more trauma than truth, day after day, year after year. Who on earth signs up for this? A calling? A dream? What happens when those dreams are dashed, or worse yet, destroyed, when in your attempt to rescue and save lives, you are unable to save the life of your own? Then what? Or how about the deadly diagnosis that threatens to end your own? How much more is one expected to take? And how do you turn a life of, quote, misery to a, quote, miracle in the making? Here to share that remarkable story and more is that officer that took those calls and in the end fulfilled his greatest call of all. 30-year police veteran, major crimes homicide detective, hostage negotiator, president of the Police Officers Association, and now co-founder, CEO, and director of 9-11 at Ease International, an organization dedicated to the healing and restoration of first responders and author of his riveting must-read, a Higher Call to Duty, the unimaginable true life story of Sergeant Mike McGrew, a man whose life and service to our country can never be repaid, but certainly can be honored. And will this day please welcome Sergeant Mike McGrew. Sergeant McGrew, Mike, if I may, welcome to Testimony. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Well, it's great to have you here, sir. We met originally at the NRB in Nashville with my good friend Jackie Jones of Truth PR. So shout out to Jackie for connecting us here today and just grateful for the opportunity to now bring your voice and story to testimony for such a time as this. So let's get right to it. Sergeant McGrew, in your book, A Higher Call to Duty, you chronicle some of the horror you faced on a daily basis as a 30-year police force veteran resulting in trauma you say drove you to the quote dark side just to cope but before we get to all of that in our brief time here today you also said and i quote i never wanted to be a cop or a christian end quote talk about that your initial segue into the police force which was not planned, but God knew, and in the end, so would you. Sergeant Mike McGrew, please tell us that story. Absolutely. I was, uh, I, I didn't uh, originally think that I was ever going to be a cop when I became one. I was in college. I was working on my truck. I, I had a wrestling scholarship, and uh, I received a pretty bad injury when the fan blade of my truck flew off and, and hit my hands. And uh, so I, I was uh, forced into a place where I had to start thinking about, you know, what I was going to do for a career. And, and um, naturally, I went 
towards uh, firefighting because my father and his father, my grandfather, my uncle, they were all firefighters. And uh, I started to look into that and somebody said, hey, have you ever thought about being a cop? And I really hadn't at all. And I started to look into the law enforcement and six months later I was in the academy and I was, uh, I was a police officer. I, uh, I really fell in love with the job. I, I was assigned some pretty uh, tough beats as a patrol officer, and uh, we had a lot of shootings and stabbings and drug dealings on the beat that I was on. And, and um, I, did, I did fairly well just uh, taking care of business there and um, arrested a lot, of, a lot of folks, and I was quickly brought into the uh, detective bureau. And that's where I started a, a career as a homicide and uh, major crimes detective. I worked homicide, sex crimes, and child molests, and armed robberies, pretty much the worst of the worst. And I saw I saw evil at, at a level that most people will never, ever experience, and, and the effects of that on, on the victims and the people that I had to deal with. And I think one of the toughest parts of the job was actually just going and um, sitting with the, the victims of these horrible crimes and their families. and. And, um, and and just being there for them. I, I wasn't a believer. I wasn't a Christian for the first 20 years of my career. And, and so I, I carried these burdens of the other people that I dealt with on my own shoulders. And um, for first responders, there's there's a something that happens when you are completely immersed in trauma uh, every day and other people's trauma. And what happens is that that begins to affect the first responder in a, in a negative way. I was in a place where I, I experienced things at work, but I, I wasn't able to come home and talk to my family about it, talk to my spouse about it. Nobody would really understand, nor would I want to share what I had seen um, that day with, with my family or anybody else. I knew that there was days that I did that job because I didn't want to have my neighbor doing that job. I didn't want anybody else to have to experience what I was what I was dealing with. And I found that, you know, uh, the culture at that time was, hey, you're getting a paycheck. It's a tough job, so just suck it up. And so we um, we went out and we did that. And um, but slowly but surely, that trauma starts to affect a person, and it affected me in a, in a big way. And more isolation would happen. Uh, the deeper I got involved in my job, um, the hours changed. As I was working homicides, I I wouldn't be home for. You know, months at a time because I was working from um, the break of dawn until midnight every night trying to trying to capture these people that were high risk to society. And so I wasn't there for a lot of birthdays. I wasn't there for uh, Christmases and just the holidays that everybody else gets to enjoy with their family because I was out dealing with something that most people wouldn't even want to touch. For those that may have just tuned in, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Sergeant Mike McGrew. His riveting must read a higher call to duty. On that last note, Sergeant McGrew, with all the rioting in the streets, mantras from Marxist groups to, quote, defund the police, and feckless leaders cowardly supporting their stance, resulting in huge numbers of our force now taking early retirement, your thoughts, and if in charge today, how would you handle that? Well, this is a time that is really affecting the first responders in a powerful way and it's not a good way um, these people are out there they're putting their lives on the line they're sacrificing their lives you know the, their family's life they're, it's all being disrupted because they're out there providing a service that nobody else can really do and as they are on those front lines 
It was always nice to know that we had support. Uh, police officers don't always run into everybody that's glad to see them. But we did know that there was a, a, a community that supported us. And, and that's one of the things that would always keep you coming back because every once in a while, someone would come up and just shake your hand and say, hey, thanks for what you do. And that's really powerful. It's, it's something that was encouraging at times where it can be very discouraging to do that job. And now to turn on the television and see people just casting dispersions on a profession that is just filled with men and women of courage and character who do heroic acts every single day. There's tens of thousands of these things that happen every day, great things that these people do. And that's not being covered, but they, they want to cover and, and bring a narrative that police are bad. And that's not true. Police, uh, it's a calling. It's something that you're called to do. And when you're out there doing that job, it's you're not there trying to please man, but but it is important that you, you have that support. And so that's why you're seeing officers leaving. They're taking early retirements. They're saying, hey, this is no longer for me, and they're leaving the force. And people talk about defunding the police force. I don't think they even understand what they're saying. To defund the police force is something that will take away all of our community-based policing programs, our school resource officers, all the things that law enforcement uses taken away. Yeah, and the result is that people aren't going to understand why things happen. And you can't look at a video that you see on television for about five seconds or 10 seconds and make a decision that those cops did something wrong because I worked major crimes and I did all the officer-involved shootings and use of force investigations. You have to take a lot into account when you make a determination on if something was excessive or something was justified when using force. And a small video snippet does not show everything. It doesn't show the fight, what led up to that. It doesn't show uh, what the officers uh, see when they're there, their perception of what's happening. And these things all have to be taken into account before somebody can sit back at home, not know anything about the profession, and then you know make negative comments about the job that was done. I know that there's a silent majority out there that still does support cops. But I would say that, you know, it's important that we begin to talk to the leaders of communities, let them know that, hey, we're not okay with violence on our streets. We're not okay with people taking over. Uh, it's horrible what they're doing. And to let them know, hey, this has to stop. You know, we need peace. We need to restore peace. We need to support those who given the mantle of peace, because that's what a police officer is. That, that badge represents a mantle that we're to go out and be that compassion, be that love, be that peace in the midst of chaos. It's not, it's not the narrative that some would want you to believe that we're there and we're the problem. No, we're not. We, we came there because there is a problem, and we're the ones who are going to peacefully resolve it. And so it's just very important to, I think, now to, to speak up and to let the leadership of your communities know that that we do want to support the police. We want to have them well-funded. We want to have them well-equipped, well-trained. And, you know, another thing that my journey led me into was developing the, the program 911 Eddies International, where we address the behavioral health of those who are out doing a difficult job. For the three decades that I worked in law enforcement, the culture was to disinternalize all the trauma that one experiences out on the, on the streets. And it was a sign of weakness if you reached out and, and asked for help. Nothing could be further from the truth. Trauma mm -hmm. is an injury. It's something that can be uh, healed. It's something that can be addressed. And it's something that helps our first responders manage their stress. It helps them uh, manage their family. It, it does all kinds of things that counseling can, can address. And so what we did was we came up with a formula 
that's a perfect formula where we raise money through the community. We, we have a, um, a helpline that law enforcement and first responders can call when they're dealing with uh, trauma or they get to that place in their life that's, you know, this very dark and they can make that call, but they're not calling their boss. They're not calling an employee assistance program or something that's related to their cities or counties that they work for. And we're a separate entity, a nonprofit that provides just that confidential counseling to happen very quickly. The minute that they call, we get them lined up with a counselor and they're able to go in and, and see somebody. And and the results of this program have been incredible. The testimonies of how we've saved lives, how we've saved marriages, how we've saved careers, is, it just it continues to happen every single week. For me, it's a lot of prayer went into this program, and, and I feel like God has just placed all the right people in all the right positions, and as you said, for such a time as this. Sergeant Mike McGrew, author of his harrowing must-read, A Higher Call, to duty. You have answered a couple of my questions in part. Sergeant McGrew, thank you so much for that. And I want to just now recap for our listeners the gravity of what you experienced these past 30 years and then get to some additional questions. And that is your story is the story that movies are made of and should be. 30 years of working some of your city's most gruesome cases from the violence of a suburban housewife to the devastating molestations of dozens of children by Catholic priests to the Rodney King riots of LA and having to negotiate with the killer on live radio and the list goes on. Marriages lost, alcohol, drugs, addiction and a family hanging by a thread and then your own diagnosis of stage three colon cancer you have since overcome but not so with your son whose own bone cancer was a six-year battle until his untimely death by his own hand at the age of 18 and yet there is more so question if it were not for the miraculous delivering and healing power of Jesus Christ Sergeant McGrew would you even be here today to talk about your book the answer is no I would not be here um, the Lord has been so good to me and you know for the first 20 years of my career I didn't know the Lord I didn't walk with him I didn't have a place to put the burdens that I was experiencing every day on a professional level and on a personal level I, I was in a place in, in my life where I had lost my second marriage my youngest son was struggling with um, a cancer diagnosis and he was battling that which was just horrible and then uh, my older son got involved in uh, drug addiction. And um, I, I was in a place where my, my world was just unraveling. I was the, the guy that was getting called to go help everybody else and help them deal with their problems and their family issues and um, just tragedies that hit them. But my own life uh, was, was not doing well. It was just unraveling. And I really didn't have a place to go. And then I met my current wife. and. First place, uh, first date she took me on was to a Chris Tomlin concert. And while we were at that mm. concert, uh, Louis Giglio was a pastor and he stepped out and he said, is there anybody here who, and he went down my checklist. He, it was like he knew everything that I was experiencing. And the Holy Spirit just hit me that night. You know, I couldn't deny that this guy, I was thinking, how does this man know my story when I'm sitting amongst 5,000 other people? And it was that day that, the next day that I went to my uh, cousin, who's a, he just retired as a lieutenant at the police department. And he, he was a Christian. And I said, Dan, would you, would you tell me about Jesus? 
And he did. And he told me what um, God had to offer me. And, and I just wanted it. And, and so that, that was the day that the mustard seed showed up in my life. It was that small little seed of faith, but it just continued to grow and grow and grow. And before I knew it, I was out um, doing my job and, and it wasn't about being uh, a cop with a 9-11 call. It was, it was about me being there because God had put me there with the, the folks that I was dealing with. When my son died, my youngest son died, um, he, um, I, I took about a month off. And when I came back to work, I told God, I said, hey, I don't, I don't want to go to any more dead child calls. I don't want to tell another family member that they lost a loved one. I said, I'm out. Don't, don't have me do that. Mm-hmm. But all the calls I got, th- those were the types of calls. And there were people who lost children. Mm-hmm. There were people who lost children to addictions or, or illnesses and, and um, family members that I had to notify that their loved one had been passed. But, but it, it completely changed for me because I, I saw that the Lord was now using me in a way that I never could have been used before because my heart was broken wide open. I was standing on the doorsteps of these homes and, and I allowed the people to look inside my heart and know I, I can relate to the pain that you're feeling. And then they would ask me, well, why are you still standing? How can you still be standing after losing a child? And the only answer I could give them was that um, it was the love of Christ that was lifting me up. It was God who was uh, giving me the strength that I didn't have um, and, and the ability to move forward. And I was so grateful because I look back when my son died and how God, he was there in such a gentle way. Um, he provided exactly what I needed to get me to the place that I'm at. And I know that my my son, is he's with the Lord. I know that he's in a good place, and this isn't over. I'm going to see him again. But it was something that um, that really made me think about, you know, just the, all the calls that I was going on. And so, I, you know, I'd, I'd go out, and even as a, as a motorcycle cop for a little while, and um, it seems like I couldn't even write a ticket because everybody I pulled over was in a, like a very tragic place in their life. And, and the Lord would reveal that. And, and I'd end up praying with those people at the side of the road. And so, you know, it, it, it was just, it was amazing what God did once I opened my heart up to him and allowed him to, to just love on me the way that he, he's always been loving on me, but to receive that and, and then pass it along. So it changed everything I did. The last decade of my career was completely different than the first two decades. And I'm so grateful because God gave me a place to, to lay my burdens down. I didn't have to carry those burdens anymore. You know, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but also just our traumas and, and those burdens that he didn't want us to carry. He says, let me carry them. My yoke is easy. And and so to walk in faith and to pray for more faith every day and to be able to have that walk, it was just, it was pretty incredible. And people saw the transformation in my life. Those that I worked with, you know, my family, everybody else, they could see it. Words can't express what, what God does in our lives, but, but our actions can. Uh, and people can see that light inside of us. And so I was just um, so honored that God would use a guy like me, a broken guy, you know, who was at just a very dark place in my life not dealing with things very well and and that he would use me uh in, in my testimony for good and that's what he continues to do and he does it through the 911 Andes international program that that he put on my heart on how to extend this love out to my brother and sister the first responders out there 
and it's been incredible. The program has been very healing. It's, it's something that we don't lead with uh, Christ. We do offer secular counseling and offer spiritual care, mm-hmm. but people see people see the fruit of the Spirit in this in this program. They can see the love and the healing and the kindness and gentleness and everything else that this has to provide, and, and they're attracted to it. They they just see it and they come to it. And I've seen people just come to the Lord too through this program. They didn't have that intention when they started, but before you know it, they're they're talking to the right person, and and God touches them in a, in a very special way. So I, I've I've never been more excited in my life. Um, I did get diagnosed with cancer about four years ago, and the cancer returned, and so I'm still battling uh, the cancer. But I have to say that um, even all the things I'm going through now with that with that battle, which is nothing compared to watching your child battle cancer, by the way, but. Yeah. But uh, even going through this and, and some days going through chemo and, you know, finding the strength to do something, I, I've never been more excited. I've never been more fired up in my life because I know that the Lord has me doing some amazing things and that he's going to get me, you know, through the through everything that, that I need to get through to, to be able to continue to help people. So I'm just so grateful. I'm so grateful to the Lord and just all he's done in my life and my family's life. And um, he's just a good God. Amen and amen. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Sergeant Mike McGrew, his latest must-read, A Higher Call to Duty. In our remaining time here, Sergeant McGrew, yours is such a powerful story. I was riveted, read every page, could not put it down. Talk about the, quote, spiritual warfare you would learn about and later on encounter and how God prepared you for just that to deal with the unimaginable. Before I was a believer, I, I knew I was experiencing evil. I knew I was seeing something that was very dark. I didn't really understand what it was. I also knew that um, I was experiencing God's grace when he would show his grace by a community coming together for somebody that had been through something horrible or a sexual assault survivor standing up and facing uh, her perpetrator in the, in the courtroom. It's just, you know, I, I saw that. That's what brought me back, but I also saw the evil. And then as I went along and I became a believer, I knew that there was a spiritual battle happening, that there was something more to than, you know, that weird thing that I, you know, couldn't, couldn't describe before. And I knew it was evil. I knew evil was very present and Satan was working through a lot of the, the, the folks that I had to deal with. And uh, I was I was on patrol one night and I received a call of a uh, homeless person that was down in front of a business. I was a sergeant. I was with another sergeant. We don't normally ride together. It was a, a night where there was a man with a gun on the north end of town, and he was um, taking up a lot of the police resources. So we decided to go out and handle the lower-end calls because we were just getting off of work. And uh, I, I met this, this man that was laying down in front of the business, and I went up to him. And I said, hey, um, buddy, we, you got you to gotta move. The business called. And he had a really ashen look to him. He, he just didn't look good. And as I began to examine more. It looked like he probably had an internal bleed going on. So I called an ambulance, and while I was there waiting for the ambulance, I, I asked the man, I would started talking to him about his faith. And he had said that he knew the Lord, but he walked away, and then that's how he ended up on the streets. So I, um, I asked him if I could pray with him, and he said, sure. And so I started to glove up because he was pretty dirty, and um, went to go lay hands on him, and all of a sudden my radio was blowing up and my phone was going off and like all of every distraction you could think of started to happen and then I could smell the smell of death 
And I looked at my partner and I said, I, you see what's happening there? And he said, yeah. So I put hands on this man and I prayed for him. And when I did that, then a demon manifests inside of him. And uh, he did things, his body did things that it shouldn't have done. And it actually raised him up off the ground. It didn't levitate him, but he couldn't get up on his own strength. And it brought him up, and then uh, we cast this uh, demon out of him. And he fell back down to the ground, and his whole countenance changed. And he was just looking at me, and, and he just started praying. And I could just tell that he was just praying to the Lord. So I told him uh, the ambulance did get there, and they, they took him off. And, uh, you know, on his way out, I said, hey, I, I, I did what I think I had to do here, but um, I need to get it right with the Lord. And he just shook his head, and he's like, yeah, I do. And so that was the very first time that I was exposed to evil in that sense, where it was just like, wow, you know, yes, the demonic is real. Yes, they are out there. A lot of areas can see it happening at the principality and powers levels, you know, through our country right now and through some of the systems that we have. But I also know how to battle that. And God has given us authority over Satan and all of his works. And so I know that in a situation like that, we have power that most Christians don't understand that they do have. And, you know, the Lord will give us discernment when we get in front of a situation like that. But the Holy Spirit will also guide our prayers as we pray for somebody. So as we pray for our nation and we pray for law enforcement and we pray for our communities, it's just important to know the authority that we're praying over our nation when we do pray and just finding the, the works of the enemy and, and the attacks that, that people are experiencing. And then I found that also there's a cleansing that happens to me when I minister to other people and, and inner healing and, and deliverance that, that the Lord shows us the strongholds that are in Second Corinthians 10 that the enemy wants to set up in our lives. And God's given us weapons to tear those strongholds down. Amen. And those weapons I find are, are usually their forgiveness. You know, most people have unforgiveness in their heart for something that really hurt them. And, you know, to be able to deal with that and go back to that place and just forgive that person or that circumstance, that releases the power of the enemy over our lives and tears down that stronghold. And then also confession and repentance. And the enemy loses his hold in, in those areas of our lives because the enemy wants to cast shame upon people. Really, the attack that's happening on law enforcement across the nation is it, a shame attack. And it's not about what they did. It's about who they are. Because he's the accuser. And we're with Christ. We're, we're his children. We're heirs to the kingdom. And, and he's not ashamed of us. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to 30-year police veteran, major crimes homicide detective, hostage negotiator, president of the Police Officers Association, and now co-founder, CEO, and director of 9-11 at Ease International, Sergeant Mike McGrew, discussing his harrowing must-read, A Higher Call to duty. You can learn more about Sergeant McGrew's work, ministry, and mission by visiting 911aei.org. That's aei.org and sergeantmcgrew.com. And get his book, Get Help, Get Resources, and then help support an organization that is supporting the best of America our uniformed men and women, first responders and defenders of our nation and all lives everywhere. You will be blessed that you did. Sergeant McGrew, Mike, if I may thank you, sir, for taking precious time to share just a little of your heart-wrenching yet hopeful story that with Christ, 
All things are possible, and what Satan has meant for evil to rob, kill, steal, and destroy God in his mercy has turned to his glory. Your incredible true story, a higher call to duty, is just that and powerfully so your organization 9-11 at ease international birthed out of great personal pain sacrifice heartache and loss is proof of god's redemptive work in helping to heal restore rebuild and renew a life as yours has been and miraculously so and as the scriptures declare hope in god and whom the sun sets free is free Indeed, we honor your valiant and unselfish work, Sergeant McGrew, and on behalf of all Americans and this great nation, we can only say thank you for the laying down of your life that others might live at ease, with hope, and at peace. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. Testimony is a global broadcast made possible by the generous contributions of our valued partners at Jensen Bard Ministries and you, our listening audience. Together, we are reaching souls for Christ, one testimony at a time. If you would like information on how you can support this broadcast with your tax-deductible gift, please visit us at jensenbard.com. That's one word, J-E-N-S-I-N-E-B-A-R-D dot com. And join the conversation at our Facebook page, Testimony with Jensen Bard. Thank you for listening, and please join us again for Testimony. Testimony.